Hello, and welcome for tuning in to the Marvel in DC Cinematic Study Guide Podcast. I am your host, Sedale, and we are here to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. So, this is my straight-out-the-theater reaction for the movie, and I just gotta say, I, I don't think it's as terrible <laughs> as everyone else is saying. Like, I don't really get the hate... Um, I think this is going to be another situation where it's going to have a low score on Rotten Tomatoes and a high audience score, just like how Black Adam did. So, yeah, <laughs> I thought the acting was I thought the acting was pretty good. Um, Paul Rudd really brings something a little extra in this movie for his iteration of Ant-Man for the rest of the cast, with the exception of Michelle Pfeiffer or the rest of the returning cast, rather. I feel that uh, they didn't really bring anything else new that we haven't seen before. But man, did Jonathan Majors really, really put this movie on his shoulders. <laughs> uh, you know, as a, as a standalone movie, or as the third movie in a trilogy, uh, it, it was okay. You know, but uh, as, a, as a part, as a, as a cog in the whole working machine that is the MCU, I think it's going to have big big implications and i also think that um we're going to appreciate this movie a little bit more um once we get to phase six once we see the new avengers movie uh then everything will will look a little bit better but you know i can only judge what i see in front of my eyes and i just i did think the first two ant-man movies were better but that's that doesn't take away anything from this movie and i really did enjoy this movie a lot i really did uh I mean, I think it's also just biased because I really like Paul Rudd. I really like the Ant-Man movies. Uh, he was one of my favorite parts of the other two appearances he did in Civil War and Avengers Endgame. So might be just a little bias, might be just a little recency bias. But I just don't think that this movie is as terrible <laughs> as other people are saying on Rotten Tomatoes or Letterboxd or anything like that. But yeah, I am going to probably see this movie again before I do a more in-depth analysis and yeah so i will see you or talk to you in the future enjoy this intro music hey i hope you enjoyed that intro music that you have probably never heard before teehee so welcome to the future let's start off with a full spoiler free review so as of recording the movie has been out for not even a week if you still haven't seen the movie and you want to adjust expectations without giving away crucial plot details, then you're still safe. The timestamp will be in the description. Starting off with the story, the story itself does it, it makes sense, but it does conflict with some things in the prior movies that's eh, not too big, but some things that I'll point out later. The story makes sense as to how they end up dealing with the quantum madness of the situation. Plot holes? Every movie has plot holes. Even life. <laughs> so whatever. I, uh, I personally don't go into movies thinking the movie's going to be a masterclass in storytelling, so I guess that's just me. The action's great. Uh, it, it is a CGI-filled movie. Uh, Paul Rudd, who plays Ant-Man, he went on The Tonight Show and said that they used a more advanced set to film the movie. They call it The Volume, and it's basically a big set. What you see in the movie, it's on the wall, so it's like a full-screen room with real dirt to walk and run in. This advancement in green screen technology, it's, I mean, it's great to hear. I did feel like a lot of the CGI brings beings in the movie. They didn't feel like the actors were talking to green tennis balls, so that's a plus. 
when it comes to the quality of the CGI, I, I, I thought it was great. I bought into the fact that they were in a different realm. But like I said in the, str- in the straight out of the theater uh, reaction earlier, it's just going to be difficult for me personally to be wowed by CGI in films because of um, Avatar 2. So, uh, you know, thank you, James Cameron, for spoiling me. Um, I don't agree with the Spy Kids comparisons. Yes, the color of the suits are the same. But, I mean, if you watch those movies side by side, there's really... I don't see how they can compare visually. It's not a contest. Still, the movie was visually pleasing. I I personally like it when a comic book movie can really capture uh, the wackiness that uh, the drawn medium for for comic books can give you. And uh, there's definitely a couple scenes that really um, emerge me in that in a very... It's a very specific type of euphoria. Um, yeah, going to the actors, the actors and the performances overall, I, I thought it was very good. And you just can't overstate enough the performance of Jonathan Majors as Kane. What he does with the character, how, how he makes it his own, he enters the story with such a kind and welcoming demeanor of the friendliest and most trustworthy type of a person. But all of it is just a beautiful, all of it is a beautiful and borderline demonic veil over the volcano of a temper that he truly has as a person. I think it's a great character study of the manipulation of man and the fragilities, uh, fragilities, fragile, someone who's fragile on human nature, his interactions with the different characters and some of the meetings, his ulterior motives or both, you know, uh, so obvious and oblivious after a certain point. Truly, I believe that this movie is at its best when he's on screen, but this movie is not called Kane, although some could argue that it should be. This movie is called Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. So let's go to the main cast. Paul Rudd and Michelle Pfeiffer are really the only people in the returning cast that bring something different from the prior films. I mean, it makes more sense for Michelle Pfeiffer. First, for Paul Rudd, along with his charm and comedic intricacies, he brings more of an assertiveness to his character as a father trying to do what he feels is best for his daughter, you know. His character arc, it, it, it makes sense. Where he is at the beginning of the movie, I mean, I'm surprised that more people haven't done what he did, you know, uh, writing a book and stuff like that. Still, as the lead, Paul Rudd is amazing. You can't go wrong. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer's Janet Van Dyne, she just simply has more screen time, so she has more to do. Which is nice because Michael Douglas is hanged him. You know, he's already been developed. He's had a lot of screen time in the prior two movies. With Janet more or less taking the lead. Of the prior generation of Ant-Man and the Wasp, you, you you can allow Hank to just be the guy who reacts to the quantum realm. Like, look at these intellectual beings. Are these drinks here so that they can make me drunk? That guy looks like broccoli. Hank Pym acts as the audience in those scenes, as well as he's still very integral to the story. Unfortunately, moving on to Evangeline Lilly, uh, Hope Van Dyne, aka the Wasp, she is somewhat sidelined for most of the movie. I didn't really notice it on the first watch, but upon rewatch, you really notice her absence. Another thing I didn't notice until I saw a tweet about it or something was that um, in the first two official trailers, the Wasp doesn't have any dialogue, which is kind of weird because her name is in the title. So I guess that should have been the first hint at her subsidized role. It really just feels like keeping her name the title felt more of an obligation than anything else. I can't help but think it may have some things to do with her stances on vaccinations um those reasons are things that we don't discuss on this podcast i ain't trying to do that so um you can go ahead and google it it's not that hard to find but on the topic of outside things affecting prior cast members ti 
he didn't come back because of his issues, so Dave doesn't show up. Also, part of the crew was uh, David Dashmashian. I don't know how to say his name. That's Kurt, the Russian dude. And the most devastating missing cast member was Michael Peña as Luis. God dang it, I missed him. I think this movie wasn't as funny, but that has to do with the fact that Luis just wasn't in the movie. Uh, also gone are, is, is Cassie's mom and Scott's ex-wife, Maggie, played by Judy Greer and Bobby Cannavale, who played Maggie's husband, Jim. All om- They were all omitted from the movie to focus on the core cast and the quantum realm. The last main character to take the spotlight is Cassie Lang, who was portrayed by Catherine Newton in this movie. She replaces Abby Ryder Fordson, who portrayed the kid version of Cassie in the first two Ant-Man movies, and, em- and Emma Furman, or Fearman, who played her in Avengers Endgame. My heart aches for Emma, because I really thought that she could have done a good job as Cassie in this movie as well. She didn't really know she was recasted until the movie was um, announced at Investor Day. And, and listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Newton's performance in this movie. I thought she brought a lot of intellect and swagger to Cassie, and I'm very excited to see her in the future moving forward as a part of the newer superheroes, if she could stay. I'm just saying, you know, Emma, Emma Freeman should, should have been given a chance, maybe. I don't know how showbiz goes. I'm just an untalented dude that judges other actors and actresses, and there are other characters, but uh, I feel like you can't talk about them without discussing spoilers. So we will save that for later. Part of the visual aesthetic of the movie that I really appreciated was the cinematography. Bill Pope was the cinematographer and did a really fantastic job. And if you see his resume, it tracks. He worked on previous Marvel projects such as Shang-Chi, Spider-Man 2 and 3, the ones directed by Sam Raimi. He also worked on movies like Men in Black 3, The Jungle Book, Alita, Battle, uh, Battle Angel. So he's a master at big swooping shots, which is a big swing taken in a movie where Ant-Man is the main character. He was also the cinematographer for Clueless in 95, 1995. So he's worked with Paul Rudd before. Uh, that doesn't really matter. That's just a, a fun fact. Another layer I appreciate about movies are its score. Christopher Beck did an immaculate job. His resume includes the previous Ant-Man movie, Hawkeye, and WandaVision. And also Free Guy. I really like that movie. He has a lot of credits. I'm not going to list them. But uh, Marvel always finds a way to find a great guy <laughs> to do the scores for their projects. Most of their scores, I, I, I think, is a home run. Um, you really felt the scope of a scene because of the score in this movie. There was a lot of running in this movie, so you can feel the tenseness in the music. So um, one of the last spoiler-free things I'd like to discuss are just some reactions and reviews attached to this movie. Um, at the moment, it has an MCU tying low of 47 freaking percent, which is tied with Eternals for the lowest Rotten Tomato score. And for both of those movies, I vehemently disagree with those low scores. <laughs> like, there's no way these movies are worse than Thor 2 or an Iron Man 3, you know? Like, the, the, those movies are not better than this movie, in, in my opinion. These movies, in my opinion. However, the audience score still holds up at 84%. As of right now, a very similar situation to Black Adam, <laughs> you know, where the, the audience's score were damn near double that of the critics' score. Uh, I know a lot of people don't care about those things because at the end of the day, they are just opinions like this entire podcast. But it matters to the movie studios to an extent because they do want to make a profit. And with these low scores, they can have an effect on box office numbers. And, you know, like that affects word of mouth. 
on a budget of 200 million i think it was 250 million it has made almost 400 million at the time of this recording so who cares for now but it could affect numbers for future movies you know that's just how i see it the cinema score for ant-man and the wasp quantumania landed on a b and if that sounds good then you're wrong <laughs> because that is the lowest cinema score since Eternals. <laughs> all uh, all the other Marvel movies, uh, I think, have not gone below an A minus. Might be a B plus. That are uh, might be a few that are B plus. I should really check, but you know, YOLO. But like I said, it it has a high audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, so maybe it's a different pool of people who are uh, being surveyed after the movie. Uh, on IMBD, it holds a six point six out of ten. On Metascore, it holds a forty eight out of a hundred. From 58 critics, so not a lot. And on Letterboxd, it holds a 2.8 out of 5 right now. All the scores mentioned are at the time of this recording, which is uh, February 20. I'm going uh, to leave that ambiguous. We'll go over my final thoughts on Letterboxd after the spoiler part of this podcast. So that pretty much wraps up everything I feel that I could talk about that doesn't really have spoilers to crucial plot development. So let's transition to the juicy content. So, from here on now, I'll be referring to the people in the movie as their character name. So, this is your last warning right here. It's going to be in the timestamps. This is the spoiler part of the podcast. I don't know how much more of a warning I can give to you. So, three, two, one, let's go. Starting off with the plot. The movie starts off with a flashback to Jade during her quick 30-year stint with the quantum, within the quantum realm. She has a nice little farm going on, and then she investigates something crashing from the sky. After a quick encounter with quantum slug lands, she is saved by someone coming from the crash, who we will later figure out to be the antagonist Kane. Fast forward to present day. You get to see what life is like for Scott and, and the rest of the cast. Scott has since written a book about his time saving the world during the events of Avengers Endgame. Hope has taken over her father's company in San Francisco, renaming it Van Dyne Pym Company. I actually don't remember what it is exactly at the time of recording. I couldn't find the exact name. Hope Van Dyne is using Pym particles to help the world in humanitarian efforts to produce more food and homes and still enjoys the occasional date night with Scott on the top of the Golden Gate Bridge. I love it when that happens. Hope's parents, Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, are enjoying their time together making pizza at miniature scale to save at least $8 at retail value. The new and improved, sorry, recasted Cassie Lang is shown to get involved in protests and we first meet her at the San Francisco County Jail. After getting bailed out by Hope and Scott, Scott figuring out she has a shrinking suit courtesy of Hank and Hope, we shift gears to Cassie showing the gang that she has created a way to attempt to map the quantum realm by sending signals down. Because in the time from the end of the second Ant-Man movie to now, she developed a love and intrigue on quantum physics based on the notes that she had access to at Hank's lab, because when you're a teenager in the MCU, that is just something you fall into and discover you have a natural talent for. It turns out that Janet hasn't shared pretty much anything about her time in the quantum realm and is wanting to focus on just being a mom and wife. You can't really blame her. However, because of her completely leaving everyone in the dark, there was no reason for Cassie, Hope, and Hank to think sending a signal down to the quantum realm for mapping purposes was anything short of a freaking terrible idea. After pulling the plug on the mapping device, she attempts to spill the beans in her time in the quantum realm, but is rudely and quickly interrupted by the device opening up a vortex and sucking everyone in the portal. The main cast are also sucked in with Hank Pym's ants and they don't reappear for some time. 
The rest are split up into two groups, Scott and Cassie, and Hope with her parents. Scott and Cassie are taken in by quantum people who are discovered to be freedom fighters against tyranny. Scott and Cassie are taken in by quantum people who are discovered to be freedom fighters against tyranny. Scott and Cassie drink a liquid that has everyone speaking the same language. Then they learn a bit about them while Cassie debuts her shrinking suit to Scott. While they are attacked by quantum militia led by Modoc, who is revealed to be Darren Cross, or what is left of him after the events of the first movie. Hope and her parents then seek out her old friend and war buddy Kryler, played by Bill Murray, at a bar and after drinking the same red language connecting ooze, find out that Kryler has been flipped by Kang and is no longer on the right side of things. After escaping, Janet reveals that the reason why Kang has taken over is because Janet helped him in years past not knowing his origins. She helped repair his shit, not knowing that his ship was sabotaged as part of him being exiled in the quantum dimension, the only place that could hold him. After discovering who Kang is, Janet takes his power source and uses pin particles to enlarge it enough so that it would be rendered unusable. That is why Kang is keeping Ant-Man and Cassie alive, so that he can have them use pin technology to shrink his power source back down to a usable size. Kang threatens to kill Cassie if Scott doesn't cooperate. Ant-Man goes into the enlarged power core, meets an infinite number of variants of himself, and with the help of Hope swooping in, are able to shrink the power core. Kang shows up, and after a quick little debacle, knocks out Ant-Man and the Wasp, steals the core, and Janet as Hank is attacked by Modoc. Switching to Cassie, she, bre she breaks free from Kang's guards, frees Jentora, the leader of the Freedom Fighters, and is able to corrupt Kang's Skeletor-esque message to his troops by relaying her own message to corral the cavalry. After being saved by the return of his ants, who have evolved over a thousand years by falling into a time vortex, and have found their way back to Hank. Hank then gathers Ant-Man and the Wasp, and they lead a siege uh, upon Kang's base of operations. The Freedom Fighters show up, Cassie convinces Modoc to not be a dick, and after a throwdown of Team Ant-Man vs. Kang, Hank lays down a literal deus ex machina of ants that take down Kang with the help of the relapsed Modoc going by Darren again. However, it costs him his life, but he dies proud knowing that he was an Avenger. Janet fixes the power core to create a portal to send everyone home. Everyone except Scott makes it through. Scott sees Kang and attempts to sacrifice himself by destroying the core, stranding himself with Kang. Hope comes back through the portal, and together they beat Kang as he is absorbed in his power core, destroying the portal in the process. However, Cassie fixes the portal, and the movie ends with, a, with Scott comedically questioning his decisions as they celebrate Cassie's fake birthday. The mid credit scene sees variants of Kangs discussing the death of the Kang that we had just spent almost two hours with, and the three main variants talking are Immortus, Ramatut, and Scarlet Centurion, and they summon the Council of Kangs, and you literally see hundreds if not thousands of Kangs in the Colosseum outside of time as the scene ends. The post credit scene has again Jonathan Majors portraying another variant of Kang going by Victor Timely. In the early 1900s at a demonstration for an apparent invention of his, and in the audience is Tom Hiddleston as Loki and Owen Wilson as Mobius, from the Loki show on Disney+. And this acts as a teaser for Loki Season 2. And that's the movie! <laughs> Thank you for bearing with me for that, um, I, for synopsis or for plot summarizations, I, I, have, to, I have to type it out, I'm not going to remember all that stuff, so thank you for bearing with me, but hey. You have it easier because you're just listening and you're listening to my sexy voice. So first things I want to talk about are the things that I didn't like. All right. The cons, mind you. And the biggest thing I didn't like was just the approach 
They wanted this to be a big event movie. The concept of that, I don't mind, but I felt that they took away all the great things about the prior Ant-Man movies. Paul Rudd brings his charm, like I said earlier, but it wasn't as funny. A lot of a lot of that comes from the supporting cast. You know, you don't have Scott's friends, specifically Louise and Kurt. There's no comedic recap for, uh, that Louise provides, and just having Kurt in the movie made the last Ant-Man movie funny. You know, his lines about Baba Yaga, you know, <laughs> you you don't have um, even Cassie's mom and stepdad. You, you know, I, I was really missing them. The focus was chosen to be on the Ant-Man family and going into the quantum realm, which, you know, we dive right into like 10 minutes of into the movie. So 95% of this movie is in the quantum realm or outside of space. And, you know, like the new supporting cast that we got, those freedom fighters, those freedom fighters were from the quantum realm, quantum people. I, uh, I didn't hate them. You know, they were they were cool, but the movie didn't really have me feeling for, you know, a quant a quantum realm spinoff based on those characters. You know, staying on the topic of the characters, I really didn't understand why Janet just couldn't say anything about the quantum realm. Now, mind you, I have never been stranded anywhere for 30 years, let alone lead a resistance. I mean, I'm only 29, for God's sakes. But if you wanted to ensure no one would ever bring up what happened, I would say something other than I don't want to talk about it. You know, to, to fully deter any meddling with that place, you know. I, I can buy that with the death of He Who Remains at the end of Loki Season 1. Maybe Janet's time down there was altered. But when it comes to meddling with the quantum realm, what Janet was doing when she was sending a signal to Scott in the prior movie to get out of the quantum realm because like remember in ant-man and the wasp she was sending a signal to scott to so that they could save her you know that was okay that kind of meddling was okay but when you when someone else does it no bueno <laughs> you know um having janet be the one with the best understanding of the quantum realm doesn't reinforce that argument either if that was true she would have said enough to deter from sending a signal into the quantum realm without giving away you know her past you know like but i understand both sides in in a big movie to kick off phase five why why would you make it so easily confusing you know to me at least and lastly to reiterate a point i made in the spoiler free section i wish there was more hope you know you, you get more janet vendine i guess so yes you still get the wasp but i personally think that hope has a lot of potential to grow in the mcu still i mean if you really think about it she's a better ant-man than ant-man <laughs> you know in, in, in almost every aspect so yeah maybe in the future she'll get a disney plus show or or something and then also i think the last thing i kind of had an issue with <laughs> in terms of plot was um you know thank god that uh scott and hope beat kang because from san francisco i don't really think cassie could see what was going on down in the quantum realm so when she when she reopened that portal she did that blindly so she could have easily unleashed kang onto the world a lot earlier i mean maybe a scene was cut but that was kind of weird <laughs> i was like i was like are you, are you sure you want to do this <laughs> and then also um i guess if i would have changed the ending i i think it, i think i really would have liked the ending rather to be hope and scott to be stuck at the end uh in the quantum realm but 
Uh, I read an interview with a producer saying that if that would have happened, then you're just repeating the same beat from the previous movie where Scott is stuck in the quantum realm again. So, yeah, I get why they made the change. <laughs> okay, but yeah, that's uh, that's really all that truly bothered me. You know, some things that I see people complaining about is how, you know, like, you know, the workings of the quantum realm, you know, why why did the cast not fall into time vortexes when the ants did? You know, seeing the quantum realm as something that does whatever works for for the writer better, I guess, you know, like or whatever works better for the story. Like it's it's be, it's being used solely for time traveling and endgame, you know, all that all that stuff. And my retort to that is the quantum realm is not real. <laughs> it's not real. So of course they could do whatever they want for it. It's it's vague enough that you can make up rules for now. Like let, let, listen, I if aliens visited Earth, right? But when they got here you only told them about the cities and mountains and shit and whatnot. But then they discover the sea, oceans, lakes, and then the aliens can call you liars and, and claim to poke holes in your story because of your, of a land based earth. And is that lazy storytelling, or is there only just so much to explain in one time that you can't help but come up as lying? That's just me. But you know, if 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 it still doesn't justify it for you, then I understand. But I also don't care. Other things <laughs> I feel are hurting the movie is just that there was a lot of hoopla surrounding it. You know, it's kicking off Phase Five, but it originally wasn't going to be. It was going to be part of Phase Four. But I'm willing to let that slide. You know, COVID has had a lot of things to do with some of the shortcomings that Phase 4 had or didn't have. And also, one more thing that I don't agree with is that is that this movie offered nothing. Like, yeah, it it totally did. Well, what the hell did you watch? Yes, the main characters don't really change by the end of the movie, but did they in the last movie? Plus, it's a third movie in a trilogy, so how much more, you know, character development do you want? You explored the quantum realm. You saw the potential threat that Kang has to offer. You see Cassie grow into the inevitable superhero. And it solidified that superhero status of Scott, in my opinion. Anyway, moving on. Things I loved. I really liked the father-daughter dynamic between Scott and Cassie. For some, it didn't quite hit home, but having a teenage girl at home, I could definitely relate to a lot that Scott was going through. Not the prison part. Thank God I haven't gone through that. But, um... <laughs> I'm not that intimately involved in my stepdaughter's life, but I can see some of the irks and struggles that Scott had to go through. I mean, overall, for Paul Rudd, no notes. You know, he's a gem and extremely handsome. Keep it up. Even though the movie still wasn't as funny as the last two, I still think it was quite enjoyable. I laughed in most of the time. I was supposed to laugh, you know. Hope saying, oh my god, when her parents are talking about their unmarital sexcapades. Uh, Modoc saying he's an Avenger. Like, those two things made me laugh really hard. And I know I said that it's hard to be wowed by the CGI because of Avatar 2. But I thought the movie looked great. You know, I don't know. I, I am never one to be, uh, I, don't, I call them CGI snobs. Like, the CGI has to have some really shoddy scenes for it to take me out of the movie. But this goes back to a prior point. Like, the quantum realm isn't real. <laughs> you know, what, what do you want it to look like? Like, what is it supposed to look like? You know, <laughs> like, it was great. There's been worse CGI in the MCU and in cinema in general. Even though it was a literal deus ex machina at the end, I thought it was still clever to really incorporate ants in winning that battle. And I thought that the ants looked great. 
And uh, a little sidebar, a little sidebar, deus ex machina is a term that I feel gets thrown around a lot. You know, for those of you who don't know what a deus ex machina is, uh, it's essentially a plot device. <laughs> you know, it was created in the Greek, in the days of Greek theater, when they would have a play and, for example, have a terrible I don't know, monster in the play. And the main characters are like, oh, no, what the hell are we going to do? And then they have like a god come down out of nowhere, like Zeus or Kratos, and they have, and then they fix the problem, and the day is saved. <laughs> you know, so other Deus Ex Machina's examples in modern uh, content, I, I like the end of Avatar: The Last Airbender. You know, Aang just learns a move to beat the Fire Lord Ozai. Toy Story Three, you know, when they're saved from the trash incinerator, the ending of War War of the Worlds. I think you could consider Slumdog Millionaire too. You know, like of a plot device, you just guessed correctly. And then, you know, Q, dance number. Those are examples of a Deus Ex Machina. And why is that something I I liked? Well, because it was cool. <laughs> you know, simple as that. Uh, and, you know, it's called Ant-Man and the Wasp. They incorporated ants in the, in, the, in the climax of the movie. I loved it. And also, you know, Jonathan Majors as Kang and the Council of Kangs, his, his performance was dope. You know, Majors will be dominating the box office soon. Uh, because when Creed 3 comes out, I foresee that movie being very successful. Uh, I spoke on Kang in the spoiler-free version, but I just don't think you can say enough about how great his performance was. You know, in the MCU, he still has a long way to go to achieve household name status. But, I mean, so far, we've gotten way more Kang than Thanos in comparison to Thanos' early times. Before Infinity War, he only had one non-post-credit scene appearance, if I remember correctly like he didn't really flourish you know that appearance was in the guardians of the galaxy movie where he was just a figurehead you know and also two post-credit scenes in avengers age of ultron and he wasn't even played by josh brolin when he was portrayed in the first avengers post-credit scene so my point is that we've already had king he who remains and with the promise of more so i'm very excited very very excited and you know the feeling i had leaving the theater both times after watching it was it wasn't as great as the prior movies, but I mean, it was still pretty good. It was still something to smile about, still something to talk about on the drive home. And, you know, it's not, that's not something I, I take lightly because there are some times where I leave the movie theater like, man, I could have just stayed home and, you know, not done this. <laughs> so to wrap up my review, I gave it 3.5 out of 5 stars on Letterboxd. I did have the prior two Ant-Man movies higher. At, uh, both of them I put at 4 stars and honestly and unfortunately for this movie i think one of the better things to come out of this movie is just a better appreciation for the first ant-man movie yeah but yeah let's see how we did in contrary to the study guide obviously i hit all the marks on the movies the marvel movies and uh, the comics too first time for this channel <laughs> uh yeah you know ant-man captain america civil war ant-man and the wasps avengers endgame loki all essential watching material for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Obviously not too essential, but gives you a better understanding of the characters. And uh, I think I hit it too with the, uh, the comic books Marvel premiere number 47. That really, uh, you know, is a good intro to, to the Scott Lang Ant-Man. And then the 2018 comic book of Ant-Man and the Wasp. That one, uh, a lot of elements uh, when it comes to the quantum realm, at least, um, in those five issues. They, you do see some of that inspiration here for Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And 
Timeless number one, that movie, I mean, that comic book did come out <laughs> very recently. That way you see a lot of sides of Kang. And, um, you know, I don't know how much Jonathan Majors was really reading into the comic side, but I feel like this comic book, Timeless number one, that one really uh, maybe took some inspiration from took some inspiration, sorry, from Jonathan Majors himself. So, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. And because I am recording this super late, uh, there were some things, some new things that I did notice online since, uh, you know, this has taken me freaking forever to release this episode. I, I deeply apologize. Is that Ant-Man, who seemingly saved the multiverse in Avengers Endgame, might have doomed it. Oh, my God. So that's going to be crazy to see. You know, um, If you pay attention at the end of Ant-Man's uh, ending monologue of the movie, you do see familiar faces from his opening monologue from the beginning of the film. So you don't know if he's in the same time that he was when he initially entered the Quantum Realm or any of them have entered the Quantum Realm. My predictions for the future, um, you know, they're, I mean, my, my predictions are never right. But let's stop. I think you see Cassie and or Hope Van Dyne re return in future projects. Uh, they can show up anywhere, honestly. And eventually, when we do get the big crossover Avengers movies, Kang Dynasty, Secret Wars, You'll see Ant-Man try to step up, you know, because um, of his experience. You'll see a big reunion between Scott and a Kang variant and maybe another Thanos, I don't even know who you are moment. You know, that'll be cool. And, you know, listen, the MCU, you know, it hasn't been coming out with bangers like it used to. But honestly, I mean, this is a new this is a new era. You know, we're fresh off the heels of phase three, which was banger after banger. But. Honestly, phase one and two wasn't like that. You know, phase four was the new phase one, in my opinion. And phase five, we're entering the new phase two. So let's just see where it goes. I mean, yeah, they're just movies. <laughs> they're just movies. At the end of the day, you make the choice to put time and money into it. So just focus on your health and stay safe out there because it's been crazy recently. But yeah, anyways, that's all the time I got. I, I'm so terribly sorry to my loyal listeners. Uh, you know, you sexy, beautiful people. You know, I, I, I got this episode out super late. Please forgive me. Please don't unsubscribe. Please don't flag me as inappropriate. I'm probably going to be late for my Shazam 2 study guide and review as well. But I mean, hey, it's my last semester in school for my BA. You know, I got to prioritize that. So it's kind of important. But anyways, I love you. Thank you so much for listening. Please give me back any feedback that you have. And uh, if you want to you wanna get at me, you know, follow the Instagram page. You know, if you want to see my, my opinions on some other movies, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm actually watching the Scream movies for the first time. So, you know, check me out at Letterboxd, Citadel 143. But yeah, that is all. Thank you. Stay beautiful. Stay handsome. Stay you. Because that's all I want. That's all I want from you. Take it easy. Good night. I love you. Mwah.